Amen. Please remain standing and hear the words of God as we continue through the Gospel of John. We'll be finishing chapter 8, beginning with verse 30. These are the words of God. Now, as Jesus spoke these words, many believed in him. Then Jesus said to those Jews who believed him, If you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. They answered him, We are Abraham's descendants and have never been in bondage to anyone. How can you say you will be made free? Jesus answered them, Most assuredly, I say to you, whoever commits sin is a slave of sin, and a slave does not abide in the house forever, but a son abides forever. Therefore, if the son makes you free, you shall be free indeed. I know that you are Abraham's descendants, but you seek to kill me because my word has no place in you. I speak what I have seen with my father, and you do what you have seen with your father. They answered and said to him, Abraham is our father. Jesus said to them, If you were Abraham's children, you would do the works of Abraham. But now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth which I heard from God. Abraham did not do this. You do the deeds of your father. Then they said to him, We were not born of fornication. We have one father, God. Jesus said to them, If God were your father, you would love me. For I proceeded forth and came from God. Nor have I come of myself, but he sent me. Why do you not understand my speech? Because you are not able to listen to my word. You are of your father the devil, and the desires of your father you want to do. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth, because there is no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources, for he is a liar and the father of it. But because I tell tell you the truth, you do not believe. You do not believe me. Which of you convicts me of sin? And if I tell the truth, why do you not believe me? He who is of God hears God's words, therefore you do not hear because you are not of God. Then the Jews answered and said to him, Do we not say rightly that you are a Samaritan and have a demon? Jesus answered, I do not have a demon, but I honor my father, and you dishonor me. And I do not seek my own glory. There is one who seeks and judges. Most assuredly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he shall never see death. Then the Jews said to him, Now we know that you have a demon. Abraham is dead and the prophets, and you say, If anyone keeps my word, he shall never taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham, who is dead, and the prophets are dead? Who do you make yourself out to be? Jesus answered, If I honor myself, my honor is nothing. It is my father who honors me, of whom you say that he is your God. Yet you have not known him, but I know him. And if I say I do not know him, I shall be a liar like you. But I do know him and keep his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day, and he saw it and was glad. Then the Jews said to him, You are not yet fifty years old, and have you seen Abraham? Jesus said to them, Most assuredly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. Then they took up stones to throw at him. But Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple, going through the midst of them, and so passed by. Let us pray. Father, your word is good and true. And our hearts need the work of that word. For we are fickle, self-centered, self-defensive. We can be as stubborn and stiff-necked as these Jews who claim to believe but do not like, accept, or want to submit to Christ, even as he stands before them. Your word, the words of Jesus, stand before us now. Make our faith true and sure. For for Christ's sake we pray. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. Well, it's been quite a chapter, chapter 8, going back and forth between, first of all, the Pharisees um, and who brought uh, the woman caught in adultery, or so-called woman caught in adultery, 
Um, and then the interchange that took place um, with the, the Pharisees that finally bring to the, us to this point where actually some people believe on Jesus, says that they believe him. And then Jesus makes this claim, very, very famous claim in, in this passage where he says in verse 32, you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. What does it mean to be free? What does it mean to be free? Part of that answer depends on what it is you are being freed from or what you are kept from being enslaved to. Jesus is the greatest liberator in the world, but the world did not want to be free from what Jesus set out to free the world from. The world doesn't want this freedom. The world doesn't see that following Jesus leads to freedom or that it is freedom to follow Christ. He came to free captive humanity from its bondage to sin, misery, and death. But sin's bondage is a bondage that permeates the heart, the will, and the affections. And therefore, no one wants God's freedom. No one wants to be free from it. Someone from outside or above, therefore, someone who was not from beneath. Remember, Jesus talked about he was from above and they were from beneath. He was not from this world. He was not from this enslaved world. Someone like Christ, Christ would have to come and come to that enslaved human nature and deliver us, deliver us from ourselves, from our Father, and our affections toward darkness. That's what Jesus meant when he says, if the Son makes you free, you shall be free indeed. So let me walk us through this, uh, this interesting text that goes back and forth between these Jews who apparently, are, we are told at first, believed. They believed him. And then, uh, I always think as I go through the Gospel of John, that it seems like at the first reading you think, Jesus, you're blowing it. You're blowing it here. You should, you're losing people right and left as opposed to, they're a little bit interested in you. Come on, bring them along. And he's like, gonna, he's just going to continue to open hearts and reveal who he really is and who they really are until God, until the Spirit deals with him by the Word. So let me, let me walk us through this text here again and, and think about this back and forth that's going on. I'll have you take a look at a couple other passages too. So following that discourse beforehand, verses 21 through 29, on the world above and the world beneath, and the warning that they must believe that he is I am, that's in verses 21 through 29, John tells us that many believed in him, verse 30, that many believed in him. It, it doesn't end up looking like they believe in him, but remember, the, remember what I told you about this word pistuo. Um, go, go back to chapter 2 for just a moment. Chapter 2, verses 23 and 24. Pistuo means to believe, and, and it means to believe the kind of faith that we talk about that is faith in Christ that is saving, but that's not the only way the word is used all the time. And we saw this in chapter 2 real clearly in uh, verse 23 and 24. It says, now when, when Jesus was in Jerusalem at the Passover, during the feast, many believed in his name when they saw the signs which he did. But Jesus did not commit himself to them because he knew all men and had no need that anyone should testify of man, for he knew what was in man. Jesus did not commit himself to them. Commit is the exact same word, pistuo as the word in the previous verse, believe. So when, when, when Jesus was in Jerusalem, many believed in his name, but Jesus did not believe himself to them. He did not commit himself 
to them. And you can think about how you commit to someone, you believe on someone, you can use that, those kinds of words interchangeably. But they can also mean something very, very different. Jesus would not commit himself to them. Now, if you take back, go back to, to our chapter, chapter 8, verse 30. As he spoke these words, many believed in him. Well, was it, was it belief as, a, as saving faith, or, or could it better be rendered that many committed themselves to him? Many, many committed to him. They, in fact, what we have are Jews who, uh, and, and it seems as though the Pharisees have now gone away. Uh, there's all kinds of political gamesmanship going on here. Um, John the Baptist had raised up a great crowd, and it got the Pharisees and the Sadducees and those in power very nervous. And then, and then John sends them all over to Jesus. And now, whenever Jesus is in the temple, they're seeking to kill him, put him out. because and, and, and it's not because they think, well, he's, he's the Savior of the world. We don't want the Savior of the world here. He's, they're afraid of an uprising against the establishment. That, that's what they're pushing against. And so when these, when these Jews, it could be that some of these Jews, these other leading Jews, see an opportunity to gather with Jesus, kind of like Judas and others, other zealots wanted Jesus to rise up and, and bring this insurrection against, against the Pharisees. Some of these Jews commit themselves. Okay, he's the one. He's the one that's going to change the world in the way that we're thinking about we want the world changed. Jesus knows their hearts. That's what chapter 2, verse 23 and 24 says. And I think that's why you begin here in verse 30 with, and he spoke these, as he spoke these words, many believed in him. And we get to the end of the passage, and it says, these ones who believed him, they took up stones to throw at him because they did not believe that he was the I am. That's not what they were committed to. So that's what's going on. Jesus, so Jesus goes on to challenge that commitment, in verse 31 and following. He continues to sift the wheat from the chaff, the true faith from the fickle faith. And their faith is fickle because they believe in their own righteousness first, even as they say they will commit themselves to Jesus. Jesus then tests them with the truth that those who abide in his word will be made free, which implies that they are slaves. He says, if you abide in my word, you'll be free, free indeed. You say, well, we don't need, what freedom do we need? Are you saying we're slaves? We're not slaves. That's, this is what they're saying back, back at him. Jesus acknowledges that they are Abraham's descendants on the one hand, verse 37, and yet they are acting like their real father, verse 37 and following. They don't believe Jesus' words. They do not do his works. They say they're not like, they're, they are not, oh, he says, they are not at all like Abraham. And then they begin slandering him. They begin attacking him. They say, you know what, um, we're, we're not born of fornication. Maybe there's still some rumors about whether or not uh, Mary had been sleeping around or whether or, not, um, uh, whether or not Joseph was trying to cover himself um, and, and spread this word that, that Mary had been, you know, been pre- impregnated by the Holy Spirit. Oh, yeah, right. So all this is, all this is going on. Still, 30 years later, um, you have these... Uh, questions going on about Jesus' lineage. So, um, they, and then they say, but we know who our father is. Our father is God, verse, verse 41. Jesus says that it is impossible, it's impossible that their father is God, for if God was their father, they would love him, love Jesus, for he is from God the Father. He says they do not understand because they cannot, they're not able to listen, or the ESV translated, they are not able to bear 
his word. That's very interesting verse. Verse 43, why do you not understand my speech? Because you are not able to bear my word. It's not because, it's not because you really can't understand. It's because you can't bear the truth. You can't, you don't want it. You, you don't not, I, I'm speaking to you the truth, and you don't want the truth. It, it's, over and over again, what we see in the Gospel of John is the problem, the, the, the problem of moving from being not saved to saved is not an intellectual one. It's true, people have questions about who Jesus is, and you, have to, and you have to answer those questions, but ultimately, the problem is not intellectual, it is a heart issue. They're not able to bear with the truth. They're not a, we're not able to bear with the fact that we're slaves, but before you are saved, before you are brought to Christ, you are enslaved by your sin. But when you're enslaved by your sin, and someone comes to tell you and says, you're enslaved to your sin, a sin that you love, a sin that you freely chose, you're like, I'm not enslaved to my sin. This is my choice. This is what I like. And we're going to talk about that in, in, in just a minute. But that, that's what's going on here. So then we hear of the nature and desires of their father. And Jesus says, your father is the devil, verse 44. He was a murderer and a liar from the beginning. Because Jesus speaks the truth, they cannot and will not listen, for they are not from God. So they again attack uh, Jesus' argument with more ad hominem, verse 48. They say, do we not say rightly that you are a Samaritan and have a demon? So kind of, let's just, let's just slander him. But Jesus will not take the bait. He, he seeks his father's honor and glory, and so he doesn't care that they seek to dishonor him. Very important uh, part of this uh, second half of this passage uh, is, is that Jesus makes very clear, I'm not interested in my own honor and glory. I'm not telling you these things about myself for me. My father sent me to tell you who I am. But, but I'm, not doing this to, I'm not doing this to raise myself up into some great, um, prominent, great place of prominence, but I am going to be raised up into a great place of prominence. I'm not going to lie to you. If I lied to you, then I'm, like, then I'm just like your father. I'm not going to lie to you. I'm going to tell you the truth. But not because I'm seeking honor. So your slander of me doesn't matter. I, I'm not interested in trying to build my reputation. I don't have to. I know who I am, and I know who sent me. That's, that's the argument that's going on here in this second place, in this second section. So, again, he points and, 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 uh, points and offers, if anyone keeps my word, he shall never see death, verse 51. And refusing to seek to understand, they again attack his argument. How can you be greater than Father Abraham, who's dead, along with all the prophets who are dead? Who does Jesus think he is anyway, verse 53? Look at that again. It says, you are greater than our father Abraham, who is dead, and the prophets are dead. Who do you make yourself out to be? And that really clarifies the fact that they... What do you think, you are God or something? These are the people who believed in him, right? But they didn't believe he was God. And that becomes very clear as this conversation is going on. Jesus answers that he will not seek his own honor, but he will speak the truth even if about himself. He knows God and he knew Abraham who rejoiced to see Christ's day, sought with faith and was glad. Jesus then plainly states that before Abraham even was, he was and is the self-existing I am. And the moment he says it, you know, he, he, we, we saw in, in the previous uh, passages how he's been saying this uh, kind of subtly here explicitly. Before Abraham was, I am. It's so explicit, they get it. They take up stones for blasphemy. They take up stones to kill him. These believers, so-called believers then, picked up stones to throw at him. 
Jesus hid himself and left the temple because it was not yet his time, showing again this, his sovereign control of all events that are going on. What is this truth then that shall make you free that he's talking about? I want to consider five aspects coming from this, this passage, five aspects of what this truth is that shall make you free, he says. Verse 1 um, is, is back in, in the very beginning, verse 31, where he, he says, if you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. So the truth that shall make you free is the truth of persevering, abiding faith in Jesus Christ as the Son of God. Abiding faith in Christ as the Son of God. Abiding in His Word by faith. Resting there, living there, dwelling there. To abide is to make your home in that place. Making your home, not just in, in the words of Scripture, like you're making home in, in just words, but words that come from Jesus that are to you from a person Word, the Word of God abiding and resting in you makes you free. A.W. Pink says, Our Lord here describes one of the marks of a genuine disciple of His. Continuance in His Word is not a condition of discipleship. Rather, it is the manifestation of it. Because in, in and of ourselves, the, the, this just sounds like blah, 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 Jesus, blah, 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 Bible. It doesn't make a whole lot of sense until we become disciples indeed. And when we become disciples indeed, all of a sudden, this goes, and light, and wisdom, and encouragement, and direction, and conviction, and instruction start coming at you like food, like food for a baby. We dwell in it, we eat it, we partake of it, and it changes us. A tree is known by its fruit. It does not become that kind of tree by making fruit. And the blessed man is like a tree planted by the rivers of water, bringing forth fruit in its season over time, whose life is prosperous with that ongoing fruit. Listen to the first three verses of Psalm 1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. So one of the things is this man changes who he hangs out with. He changes the company that he keeps. The company he used to like to keep, he doesn't like to keep anymore. He doesn't like hanging out in the darkness anymore. He doesn't like hanging out with the scoundrels anymore. He doesn't like to hang out with the blasphemers anymore. He doesn't like to, to, to hang out with those who are giving counsel for wickedness. Instead, he has a new delight. His delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law, he meditates day and night. It's like he can't get enough of it. He shall be like a tree, we are told, planted by the rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in its season, whose leaf also shall not wither, and whatever he does shall prosper. This is the truth that sets you free, the truth that is an abiding faith in the word of God and in God himself. This, this, this man is a vine well pruned to produce more fruit, John 15, 2 says. He grows up into maturity, and, and I have this picture in my mind because I have two new little I have three little grandsons now, none of whom can walk. They're all bipeds. Just feed them for a while, and I'll prove it to you. Prove it to you. Right? So they, they, already, are, they already are something that you can't see yet, 
but they truly are that thing. They grow up into maturity, this blessed man, like a little child, grows up into maturity like a newborn learns to walk, even though he is already a biped. So as a Christian, so when I said this, so for instance, it crossed my mind, as, as I was saying to you that you have to, you love abiding in God's word, and then some of you who are believers indeed said, I don't really like abiding in his word right now. It's, it's not feeding me like you were talking about. But, but if you are a disciple indeed, then like my grandsons who are going to grow up and begin to walk, and, and when they walk, they'll totter, totter and fall and, and get up and totter and fall again. Well, just like that, you are going to grow up. If you're a disciple indeed, you are going to grow in greater and greater persevering faith, abiding in the word of God. I guarantee it. Because, you're, because just like I can guarantee that unless something goes wrong, that, and which only proves the point, my grandsons are going to grow up and prove to you that they're bipeds. You're going to be, it's going to be proven that you love God's word. You eat it. And it transforms you and directs you. That's what, that is, that's what Jesus is offering. That's the freedom that Jesus is offering and declaring. And although this, this man, this, this man in abiding faith has plenty of questions, he is no cavalier always disputing and quibbling, raising petty, annoying objections, like these Jews and Pharisees keep doing. There's a difference between, and, and I hope you can see the difference, between an honest question and just quibbling, taking the word and, and twisting it to, to your own end, to, to the end of your own argument, not to seek truth, but rather to put down and press against the truth that is standing before you. Paul's, Paul warns Timothy about this in 1 Timothy chapter 6. He says, if anyone teaches otherwise and does not consent to wholesome words, even the words of our Lord Jesus Christ, and to the doctrine which accords with godliness, he is proud. People who won't follow Christ are proud. People who are quibbling and arguing about Christ are proud. That's what, that's what Paul is saying. He's proud, knowing nothing, but is obsessed with disputes and arguments over words from which come envy, strife, reviling, evil suspicions, useless wranglings of men of corrupt minds and destitute of the truth who suppose that godliness is a means of gain. From such, withdraw yourself. There's a way of having questions or, or in a prideful way, pushing back against the arguments of the truth that, that, that are just simply prideful wranglings. That is not the man who is abiding in faith. Jesus, and and this, is why you, that's why, this is why you can find so many um, amazing Bible scholars who know all the Hebrew and all the Greek far better than I do and hate God. Because they're wranglers, because they're, because they're quibbling over, the, over what, the, what, what they're actually translating, what they're actually working with. This is, what, um, this is what we're talking about. Jesus is the great I am. And you know, in our Nicene Creed, we say God of God, light of light, and very God of very God. Um, sometimes I think we should translate, the, the, what we're saying, God of God, it's, we're saying he's God of God. He's, he's God from God. And that's what Jesus is saying. He's saying, I am from the Father. The Father has sent me. He's God from God. He's light from light. He is very God from very God. And at his name, every knee shall bow. This is where abiding faith rests. Jesus is God. Jesus is the great I am. And resting in that, wanting to feed upon him in word, at the table, in, in fellowship with his believers, fellow believers. 
The truth that shall make you free is the truth persevering, abiding, of persevering, abiding faith in Jesus Christ. Second, the truth that shall make you free is the truth that releases you from the bondage of sin and the total depravity of Adam's sinful race. Look at verse 34. Jesus says, Jesus answers them, Most assuredly, I say to you, whoever commits sin is a slave of sin. And in, this, uh, in, in, in John's use of this language here, in his epistle particularly quite a bit, when, he, when he's talking about committing sin, he's talking about an ongoing habitual giving of oneself to sin. He's not talking of the, the, the sin that you commit, the sin that you do, which you then repent of, and you get washed clean, and you get back up. That's the toddler learning how to walk. Okay? We're, we're all toddlers learning how to walk. And so we stumble and fall, and then we're bipeds, so we get back up. We're Christians, so we get back up. We repent, we seek forgiveness, we wash, we're washed in the blood of Christ, and we continue on. But when Jesus says, he who commits sin, that's, that's where they're abiding. That's where they are. He says, they are slaves. They are slaves to sin. Most assuredly, I say to you, whoever commits sin is a slave of sin. So the man of the world does not imagine that he is in bondage to sin. He just cannot imagine that he is enslaved. How could he be? He is freely choosing his liberty from the law. Isn't that, isn't that true, what, the, what an unbeliever says? You guys are the ones who are slaves. You're enslaved to this word. You have to do whatever God says. Give me your list of commandments, right? I'm free. I get to decide for myself whatever I want to do. Liberty of conscience. But what God calls sin sinful man calls an expression of freedom. But, but, the, but that sinner doesn't ask one more question. Why do you like that so much? Why, why do you like that sin so much? Why is that your preferred choice? Well, the answer is that he's a sinner by nature. It is his natural course. We don't sin and then become sinners. We sin because we are sinners. We sin because we are sinners. Again, pink. The condition of the natural man is far, far worse than he imagines and far worse than the average preacher supposes. It is, um, it's challenging for a preacher to stand in the pulpit and really be honest about the sinfulness of man in the declaration of the gospel. It is far easier to grow a church to tell people that they're pretty good people. You guys are pretty good people. Good looking too. No, but you got some more good looking friends. And I've got some really good words here to help you be really victorious in your life. I'm gonna make your marriage better. I'm gonna make you more prosperous. I'm gonna help you see, get rid of that, that feeling that you have of, of guilt and show you how much God loves you. Let's go, right? And that veneer, that veneer that gives you some moments of feel good is, is your clothes for hell. Because if you don't deal with the fact that, in, that you, the, the, this moment that you go in your mind and you say, you know, I, I can't believe I did that. I can't believe I thought those things. I can't believe I did those things. I'm, I'm terrible. Or someone else tells you how terrible you are. You know what your answer should be? You don't know the half of it. You don't know the half of it. A sinful heart, who can understand it? That's what, it's, that's what we are told. An example, we, we decided as a culture kind of back in the 60s that we were going to have sexual freedom. You do whatever you want with whoever you want, however you want, 
Just free love, man. Free love. Let's do it. 60s, open up, free love, sexual revolution, put down all of those um, um, laws. But, but what has happened in 50, 60 years to our culture? This so-called freedom has left us with higher rates of addiction, suicide, depression, broken families, incarcerations, single moms, murdered babies, confused and lost souls. That's what it's got us. That's what this freedom has got us. More people on more pills than ever before. Jesus has come to make us free, not only from our sin, not only from the power and guilt of sin, but here's the great thing, from our love of sin. He's come to free you from your love for sin and your love of sin. He's caused you to, he, he changes you from the inside to begin and grow in a hatred of your sin, of, of, of being shocked of yourself, in, and shocked in such a way that you turn to Christ, you run to the cross, you run to the only place where you can find solace from, who, from you, and that is in Jesus, and he changes you, he remakes you, he builds you up again, and it's a, it's a, it's a one-time objective event that takes place when you're saved, and it's an ongoing, over and over again process of sanctification as you continue on in life. So the truth that shall make you free is the truth that releases you from the bondage of sin and the total depravity of Adam's sinful race. And some of you need to be freed from that. And some of you need to be freed some more from that. Some of you need to run to the cross naked with nothing to offer God. Hands open, letting go of your sin, and grabbing on, grabbing on to the cross, thanking God for the work of Jesus. And you'll find freedom, freedom from your love of that sin. Third, the truth shall make you free is the truth that places you in a new family. Verse 35, and a slave does not abide in the house forever, but a son abides forever. And in, really, in this passage, there's all kinds of familial language um, we, have the ha- we have this house language, living in someone's house. We have sons and slaves and the differences of that. We, we have the descendants of Abraham. We have, we have two different fathers that are being talked about. There's, there's a lot of familial language. And while it's true that uh, slavery to sin is talking about being a slave in that way, I think there's another emphasis on, on what it means to be a slave that Jesus is bringing out as he's talking to this group of Jews who are with him in the temple who are with him in the house of God. He's saying they're slaves, not sons. And he wants to, define, he wants to show them what the difference is. So this is the other aspect of being a slave. And that is how it contrasts with being a son. And this is why the conversation turns to who is your father in verses 37 through 41. These Jews are descendants of Abraham in one sense, abiding in the house of God as the people of God, But the fact that they are seeking to rid themselves of Jesus proves that they are not sons in the house. They are slaves. Their place in this house will soon be cast out. Only sons will abide in the house forever. Verse 35, a slave does not abide in the house forever, but a son abides forever. Therefore, if the son makes you free, that is, takes away that slavery status and makes you a son, therefore, if the son makes you free, you shall be free indeed." Who are the true sons of Abraham? Who are the true sons of Abraham? It comes out here in this passage. Paul makes it very clear throughout the book of Romans, book of Galatians as well. 
Who are the true sons of Abraham? Well, who are the true sons of God? They are the ones who have the same faith as Abraham. Galatians chapter 3, for you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There's neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither slave nor free. There's neither male nor female, for you're all one in Christ Jesus. If you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's seed. You are descendants of Abraham and heirs according to the promise. If you have faith in Christ in the same way that Abraham had faith in the promises of Christ, then you are truly indeed his son. And you are indeed free and not a slave. Abraham was promised many descendants and blessings. There's all kinds of passages, but Genesis 22, God says, Blessing, I will bless you, and multiplying, I will multiply your descendants as the stars of the heaven and as the sand which is on the seashore, and your descendants shall possess the gate of their enemies. In your seed, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. And those promises came through the righteousness of faith. Romans 4, Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. And it was this righteous, this righteous faith made, was, is, was the instrument by which Abraham is saved, by which Abraham is brought into this covenant with God, this everlasting life with God. John the Baptist had already warned the Pharisees and the Sadducees much earlier that being genetic descendants of Abraham would not save them. Remember, he was the one who said to the Pharisees and Sadducees, you brood of vipers. <laughs> There's a way to win friends and influence people. You bag of snakes. You little dragons, you. Who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? He's calling. Everybody's being called to be baptized, to be repent. And then the Pharisees, so Pharisees and Sadducees show up and, and John says, what are you doing here? What we... What are, you, what are you doing here? Bear fruits first worthy of repentance, and do not think to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I say to you that God is able to raise up children to Abraham from these stones. So these Jews thought that they lived in the father's house as free men with a right to the father's inheritance, while they were in fact slaves, doomed to being cast out like Ishmael, son of the bondwoman. And again, have, have AD... 52, 55, when this is written in mind to a generation that in AD 70 is going to be cast out, is going to be cast out and destroyed. It goes on. I mean, there's, there's other implications, but that's a first implication that this generation would have to deal with. Only through faith in Jesus Christ, the seed of Abraham our elder, and our elder brother, are we brought into a new family and made co-heirs with Christ? Two, two of the things we oftentimes forget about our relationship with Christ is, is that not only is he our savior, but he's called our elder brother. He's your, el he's your older brother, and you've been brought into the family of God. He's God's son, and so are we. And, and I could say sons and daughters, and that's true, but the scriptures regularly say you're all sons of God. And it's not a sexist statement. When he says you're all sons of God, what it's pointing to is that we're all heirs. We're all, we are all co-heirs with Christ. All that has been promised and given to him is ours with him. The elder brother is going to share it with all of his family. And we will reign with him as well. And so this, this, um, this truth is a truth that makes you free and makes you a son, a co-heir, co-reigning with Christ. 
Fourth, the truth that shall make you free is the truth that kills the murderous envying of the devil and your heart. Look at verses 43 and 40 through 45 with me. Why, why do you not understand my speech? Because you're not able to bear my word. I'm going to use that translation, to bear my word. You are of your father, the devil, and the desires of your father, the lusts of your father you want to do. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own, his own resources, for he is a liar and the father of it. But because I tell you the truth, you do not believe me. You do not believe me. One of the lies that keeps us from freedom in Christ is the devil's twisting of God's good words and promises. Creates a world, tells Adam and Eve, help yourself. My world is a world of yes. It's a world of freedom. It's a world of take and eat from any of the trees of the garden. I already have them all grown up for you. There's fruit on the, for the picking, ready for the picking. I'm going to show you how to create gardens like this. I'm going to give you the opportunity to have dominion over the entire world. It's all yes. Just don't eat from the tree over here, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For in the day that you eat of it, you will die. This is a world of yes, a world of blessings, a world where you, you can't stop counting the blessings that God has given you if you really start thinking about it. If you really start thinking about all the things, all the undeserved gifts that you have in your life. But you don't see that. What does your mind always focus on? What you don't have. What's not going right. Who's not treating you the best. That's what, our mind is always on the nose. Our, our mind is always on the things which we, could, we, we will not. And this is because we are an envying people. We are like our father, the devil. We lie, we murder, we grab and grasp for what is that which is not ours. And we hate it that God has it and won't give it to us. Or we hate it that God has given it to someone else and not to us. And we're willing to do all kinds of things because of that. Just like the devil. And that's what, that's what uh, Jesus is saying as he's speaking to them. So, the devil is a murderer. And the first recorded murder remember, is that of Abel by his brother, Cain. It is interesting to note the parallel of that story with what is going on with Jesus and the Jews. Cain cannot endure his sacrifice not being accepted, while Abel's is accepted. Listen to this in Genesis chapter 4. Remember this story. And in the process of time, it came to pass that Cain brought an offering of the fruit of the ground to the Lord. Abel also brought of, of the firstborn of his flock and their fat. And the Lord respected Abel and his offering, but he did not respect Cain and his offering. And commentators for centuries cannot tell you exactly why that, um, that we're not told explicitly why he did not accept uh, Cain's offering. Uh, I'm willing to surmise it's because God is not a vegetarian, but that's just my thought. <laughs> and Cain was very angry, and his countenance fell. So the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry, and why has your countenance fallen? If you do well, there's the offer, if you do well, you, you, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin lies at the door, and its desire is for you, but you should rule over it. Yeah, I'm not accepting your offering, Cain. I am accepting Abel's, but you can do this, and I've got blessing for you. Good is, good is right for you, but, but sin is standing at the, at, the, at the door, and its desire is, is for you. <laughs> Make sure you rule over it, and he doesn't. What does Cain do? 
Cain doesn't care that God's willing to, to, to help him turn, get his sacrifice right. He can't stand that Abel's has been accepted. The Jews can't stand that Jesus is declaring that he is, that he is being accepted, that, that his sacrifice is going to be the one and only sacrifice. He can't stand this. So God gives Cain a clear path to blessing, but Cain can only envy the favor the Lord has placed on Abel. That envy leads to hatred and hatred to murder. Likewise, the, the Jews will envy the Lord Jesus. It says, actually, it's not Genesis, but Matthew 27, 18. When, when, when they're turning Jesus over um, to Pilate, and then when Pilate says, what, can, can't I just let him go? They say, no, don't, no, don't let him go. And it says uh, in Matthew 27, 18, for he knew that they had handed him over because of envy. Because of envy. Handing him over to be crucified because of envy. They hate the free grace and forgiveness Jesus is offering. Like the, like the prodigal son, they are, they're, they're not like the prodigal son who's getting the free grace, but like the prodigal son brother who's like, why is, why is he getting a party? I've been working for you. I've been doing all the right things. And you're giving a party to the guy that ran off. What's the deal? He's bitter. Well, that's, a, that, that's not just a story about a, a, a son that is running away. That's a story about those who are seeking salvation by grace and those who are seeking salvation by their works. That's, what, that's what's, what's going on there. They hate the favor of the Lord over Jesus, and that hatred then turns to murder. This is what envy does. James 3. But if you have bitter envy and self-seeking in your hearts, do not boast and lie against the truth. This wisdom, this wisdom does not descend from above, but is earthly, sensual, demonic. There it is. For where envy and self-seeking exist, confusion and every evil thing are there. And Jesus says, the truth shall set you free from that envy, from that bitterness. glory to God. You know, it's interesting in our world today, think about this. Consider the catechism of cancel culture today. What's, what is going on there? This is exactly what's going on there in the whole cancel culture movement. What are we taught to hate today more than anything else? Privilege. It is a sin to be privileged. That is what our culture is telling us today. It is a sin to be privileged. The problem is, if, you've been, if you're privileged, you didn't have anything to do with it. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. We are to hate, we are taught, we are to hate the privilege that others have. The things that they, that they have been given but have not earned. They get it because they are sons, and we aren't, so we don't get it also. And that is not fair. And it all needs to be burned down. This is nothing Nothing short of demonic envy. That's what's going on in our culture today. Our land is cultivating a murderous hatred of privilege. They are stoking the flames of envy. But Jesus came to kill your envy and to cause you to delight in him and his father's delight over you. He's come to set you free. You are, in fact, privileged in Jesus Christ. It's, it's the ultimate privilege you don't earn it, it's just given to you. You have not, you can't, and if someone else doesn't have it, they're going to hate you. 
They're going to hate those, they're, they're being taught to hate those who have pri are privileged. And guess who we are? We are the privileged people of God, saved by grace alone, by the great and glorious doctrine of his sovereign election. And they hate that. They hate that privilege. Well, no, what's, what's crazy in, in the whole world is that they can die. They can die to that envy. They can die to that hatred of privilege and find themselves, in fact, privileged as well. Or they can say, no, I don't want no privilege. I'm going to earn it all the way. And everybody else is, burn it down. Right? So, so this, is, this is what we're fighting against. And, and what we need to do is make sure, if, we, if we're ready to do this right, we've got to make sure we have envy out of our own hearts. That demand for privilege, that demand that I deserve better, the demand that I want more, the demand that God has to give me more, the demand that I can't believe that God has given so-and-so something and not me. That has to be killed. And Jesus came to kill it. Jesus came to set us free from that envy and a world set free from that envy as well. You are privileged in Jesus Christ. You are of God for one reason and one reason only. You are of God and can hear and understand his word for one reason and one reason only because God chose in his kindness to give it to you. Verse 47. He who is of God hears God's words. Therefore, you do not hear because you're not of God privilege right there. Finally, fifth, the truth shall make you free. The truth that shall make you free is the truth that grants you the ability to have humble confidence in the truth. I pointed this out as I was reading through the overview, but let me read just a couple of these verses again so you see this. Verse 32, and you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. Just states it right up. Verse 49, Jesus said, I do not have a demon, but I honor my father and you dishonor me. And I do not seek my own glory. There is one who seeks and judges. Most assuredly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, you shall never see death. Speaking the truth straight up, verse 54, if I honor myself, my honor is nothing. This is where they say, who are you making yourself out to be? So before he says it, he says, now wait, before I tell you, before I answer this, I want to make clear. If I honor myself, my honor is nothing. It is my Father who honors me, of whom you say that he is your God. Yet you have not known him, but I know him. And if I say I do not know him, I shall be a liar like you. But I do know him and keep his word. I'm not going to lie. What I'm about to say is going to bring great honor to me. But I'm not going to lie, and I'm not seeking my own honor. Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day, and he saw it and was glad. Then the Jews said to him, you're not yet 50 years old. Have you seen Abraham? And Jesus said to them, most assuredly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. Jesus was not trying to honor himself, but he will receive all honor from God, for he is the great I am. Jesus will not lie about this. And here's what's so important. We must not either. We must not either. Jesus will not lie about it, and we must not either. Acts 4, there is, nor is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. And here's the hard teaching about that. We need to be willing to say that, and we need to be willing to live like it. We have neighbors, we have friends and family members, we have, we have co-workers, there are people around you, and, and it, it's, it's not enough just to watch for an opportunity to say, well, there's no other way under heaven except, except, except through Jesus. That's it. 
Yes, you need to look for opportunities to say that. But you need to live like it. You need to live like it. So when you say, when you say those words, it's clear to them that you have a confidence and a confident humility. I am I'm not my own. I've been bought at a price. I am somebody else's. And I, I have been, what has been revealed to me is the great I am, who is then placarded on a cross, a message placarded on a cross. Jesus Christ came as Savior of the world, of whom I have been given the glorious privilege of being invited into his presence, into his life. Live like that. Live like free men, not like slaves, because Christ has come to set you free. Jesus Christ has come to set men free. Jesus Christ has come to set you free. What do you need to be set free from? What do you need to be set free from? Turn to Jesus, to the great I am. He is God, full of grace and truth. Great Father in heaven, grant true living faith here. Keep us from keeping Jesus at arm's length, lying to ourselves about freedom when we are in fact in bondage to ongoing sin, to lust, to envy, to greed, to things that will never satisfy. Instead, reveal Jesus and the new eternal life that is ours in him and grant that we would love and cultivate that life by faith and all by grace. In Jesus' name. Amen.